This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. And also, for the first time in this past year of podcasting, we have... Hey, I'm your other host, senior editor John Hall. Coming to you from Jersey, so there's going to be a lag. You're in Fort Collins. I'm uh, out here on the East Coast. We are experimenting <laughs> with this it out. kind of remote and uh, uh, wild podcast format. but It's like yeah, how 55... Marconi was in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you messages on the back end via teletype. <laughs> yeah, we're we're inventing a whole new thing here that many other podcasters figured out years ago. Right. But uh, we're already off to a great start. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, episode 55 of the, of the podcast. We started this uh, just about a year ago, last October, and uh, here we are. The, for this episode of the podcast, we thought we'd do something that we've never done before, and that's have John and me both appear on the same podcast at the same time, but then also run through uh, something that we are really excited about, which is our 2018 Best in Beer issue of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Uh, first, before we get into that, I just want to say that this episode of the podcast is sponsored in part by the Breckenridge Big Beers Festival uh, up in uh, January in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, where Big Beers is a big favorite of ours. We go every year. John, you're involved in Big Beers, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on the board of directors, actually. I've been going for, gosh, I don't know how many years now, uh, five or six. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's one of the best festivals going, and I'd say that even if I wasn't involved on the, on the board. It's always a lot of fun to go out into the mountains and uh, hang out with the brewers, and the beers are of extraordinary strength, and brewers always bring their best, and it's always just uh, it's a fun weekend. Fantastic. I uh, hope you will join us at Big Beers this year. You can find your tickets online. They are on sale now. Um, let's hop into it. So this is our Best in Beer episode of the podcast. Uh, the issue, our, our annual Best in Beer issue, is on its way to subscribers right now, should be arriving in everybody's mailboxes if it hasn't already. And we have just on uh, today, on Friday, when this podcast goes live, made the digital issue live in the app and mailed out, emailed out to subscribers. And so hopefully you all have it to follow along with at home. If you don't, then ask yourself, why do I not subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine? Yeah, because I mean, sure right, I, John, they should. I, I finish pretty much every episode by saying, please, please, please subscribe to the magazine. So if people aren't doing it, it just means that they're not listening. Well, that's true. You need to click the subscribe button for this podcast on your favorite podcast client, and you need to go to beerandbrewing.com and subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine if you don't already. But of course, we're going to assume that you do because you're listening and you care about what we do and you care about independent journalism here in the craft beer space. Uh, speaking of that, our business is uh, completely independent. It's something we don't talk about very often, but uh, we are uh, uh, owner owned and operated. Um, you know, the, the, the three primary owners of our business are my partner, John Bolton, uh, Hayden Strauss and me. And, uh, you know, there's no outside publishing company. It is just our labor of love and our little company here that, uh, that publishes this magazine. So when you support us, you are supporting independence in, in the same way that we support independence in the craft beer space. Um, let's get into a little bit of methodology about uh, what we do for this best in beer issue. Our approach to best 
is to get the most, uh, the broadest and most diverse approach to this that we possibly can. So for our, our best in beer issue, we look at uh, three things. We look at uh, best lists from some trusted writers and critics that are friends of ours that contribute to the magazine. Uh, we look to our readers, you know, those uh, uh, folks that read the magazine and they read our uh, multi several times a week email list. And if, and if you don't subscribe to our weekly emails, please also do that at beer and beer. So many subscriptions. So many, so many ways to stay in touch with all the awesome things that we do. <laughs> How else are they going to learn about all the great stories that you've written, John? Yeah. So, yeah. So on this email list, we've got, I don't know, something like 70,000 people to get it uh, uh, you know, several times a week. And uh, we send out this reader's survey uh, opportunity to them. They hop on to SurveyMonkey or Typeform or whatever it is that we use and fill out a, uh, an exceedingly long survey that's highly in-depth, uh, asking them about all of the these different categories that we are interested in. In doing that, uh, we take some very specific steps. Number one, we do not, we all of our entries for things like our best beers are uh, text fields. Uh, we don't believe in uh, you know moving the needle in favor of any one particular uh, brewery or brand, and so um, we don't give you a number of you know selections to choose from. You have to enter that in. Well, that creates an immense amount of work for us on the back end to figure out when uh, you know people's you know people give us answers that don't seem to make any kind of sense, or they misspell things or whatnot. But you know the integrity of that data and what readers are trying to say, and not putting our finger on the scale in any kind of way is uh, is a pretty big deal for us. So that's our reader survey. Um, the, the last part of it is our editor's picks, you know, because this is our magazine and uh, we get to make the rules. Um, you know, we give ourselves 18 spots for 2018 to choose between John and me. Um, and, uh, you know, with some feedback and input from some of our critics as well, uh, what we think the magazine is going to stand by as the 18 best, most interesting, or most noteworthy beers of 2018. So we're going to go through some of the highlights on this podcast, starting with our best beers of 2018 as selected by our readers and our reader's choice. So, John, do you have that list in front of you? I do. Why don't you start us off, because I've been talking a lot, and... Uh, and uh, start counting down some of the 50 best beers of 2018. Sure. Uh, starting with number 50, it's out actually by you in uh, Fort Collins, Odell's Mercenary. And then Rogue Dead Guy at 49. Odell makes it again at 48 with IPA. And at 47, we have Victory's Prima Pills. 46 is the Alchemist Focal Banger. And then number 45 is Firestone Walker's Luponic Distortion IPA. I don't know which number that is or if that's just all of them. I think we probably wrapped all of them up into one, you know, since it's one brand, but yeah. Okay. At, uh, at 44, we have three Floyd's zombie dust pale ale. 43, we have Fathead's headhunter IPA. 42 is dogfish head, uh, 60 minute IPA. 41 Russian river blind pig IPA. And at 40 Brasserie d'Orval Orval. That's a great beer. Only a 40. I know, I know. That's, uh, (laughs) well, (laughs) there's still a lot of really great beer here. Because at 39, it's Maine Beer Company's Lunch IPA. Firestone Walker's back again at 38 with Union Jack IPA. North Coast shows up with Old Rasputin Stout at 37. And then at 36 is Left Hand's Nitro Milk Stout. And 35 is Bell's Hop Slam Double IPA, or Imperial IPA, I guess that, uh, we have the IIPA there. Uh, 34, a new entry on the list, Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing. First time, first year brewing it and first time on the list. 
At 33, Firestone Walker Pivo Pills, one of my personal faves. 32, Unibrew La Fin du Monde. Uh, 31, Oster Blues Dale's Pale Ale, a classic. New Holland Dragon's Milk Stout is number 30. The cool thing that I like about this list is that there's so many beers that have been around for a while, but they're still uh, notable favorites by our readers. And 29 is a great example of that, of Stone IPA. And then 28 is Sierra's Celebration. Uh, 27 is Lagunitas IPA. 26 is New Belgium's Fat Tire. And then number 25 is Lawson's Finest Liquid Sip of Sunshine IPA. You know, you're right. This list is uh, uh, full of uh, some hipster favorites as well as some old-time mainline classics. And that's what I think keeps this really fun. At 24, Treehouse Julius IPA. 23, Toppling Goliath Pseudo Sue Pale Ale. Uh, 22, Founders Backwoods Bastard. I believe uh, um, the other old bastard, Dirty Bastard, was uh, on the list last year, and somehow people have voted Backwoods in this year. Uh, Pilsner or Cal Pilsner is at 21. <laughs> and at 20, uh, this one's <laughs> this is a funny one. Uh, Weldworks, Juicy Bits IPA. Why is that a funny one? You know, it's a funny one because uh, this... this uh, you know, I have a. I was actually talking to, to Neil Fisher of Worldworks last week about this. I think I think it was the article that he wrote for us, and the fact that he shared the recipe for Juicy Bits about a year and a half, two years ago, in the pages of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, that has led to it not only to show up on this list, but also to show up on Zybergy Magazine's top ten beers of the year too. So, kind of a funny, interesting way that uh, that putting content out there and sharing a recipe. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, has led to that uh, that beer, which is, you know, still a pretty small beer, only brewed out here in Colorado and only sold out of the brewery or at a few, you know, select retail locations. You know, how does how does that beer make a, a top 20 list? But there you go. There it is. Well, at 19, it's Stone Arrogant Bastard. 18 is Brasserie DuPont's Cezanne DuPont. 17, Deschutes shows up with Black Butte Porter, which is its first time on this list. 16 is The Alchemist with Hetty Topper. And 15 is Allagash White. Allagash White. Gotta love that beer. At uh, 14, Dogfish had 90-minute IPA. 13, Cigar City Highlight IPA. 12 is Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. 11, Founders with Breakfast Stout. And at 10, Founders again with Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Good old KBS. Yeah. Nine is Fresh Squeezed IPA from Deschutes. Number eight is Goose Island Bourbon County Brand Stout. Number seven, Boulevard Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale. And number six is Founders All Day IPA. They are, they're just running the, the board on this list. They, they definitely have uh, uh, the most individual entries on this list that I was able to count. On that, as you can tell, we do not put a, a restriction on this list. These are our readers' answers. And so when readers tell us that they love beers like Goose Island Bourbon County, we run it as is. Uh, so that is just how the chips fall. On number five, a old school classic of American craft beer, Samuel Adams Boston Lager. Number four, Guinness Extra Stout. Number three, Russian River with Pliny the Elder, Imperial Pale Ale. Number two, and this is where it really gets interesting because last year this beer was in the number one place, and this year it has swapped places with the number two beer from last year. In the number two spot, in an interesting upset from that number one, number two, Bell's Brewery, Two-Hearted IPA. And in the number one spot, John? Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. 
which uh, I wrote about earlier this year in the magazine. You can read our ode to that uh, up on the website. But the American classic, the beer that inspired so many brewers to get into the to the marketplace and so many drinkers to uh, go against the, the norm, it's really nice to see this beer uh, where it, it is richly deserved at the top of this list. Cheers to Sierra Nevada for yeah. this uh, well I'm drinking plan. right now. And of course, you know, there's really no losers in that top 50 list. They're all fantastic beers. Congratulations to, to all of the breweries and all of the individual beers. And thank you to all of our readers who uh, selected them again this year. Yeah, cheers, guys. Next up in our special Best in Beer episode is our critics list. So uh, we have a number of critics lists in this, uh, this issue. Everyone from Stan Hieronymus uh, to Alex Kidd of Don't Drink Beer and M. Souter. Uh, of Pints and Panels, Josh Weikert, uh, one of our regular contributors uh, from uh, Brew Simple, uh, and others all contribute their best of lists of the year. But John and I both uh, compile our own lists. And so since we're doing this podcast, I figured we'd go through some of our own personal favorites this year. John, do you want to kick this off? Uh, the first category is uh, top three small breweries, uh, 15,000 barrels or less. Uh, what's uh, what's the first brewery on your list? Is Coppertail out of Tampa, Florida. So, you know, what, a lot of yeah, folks. What you love the, about them? You know, I, I, it's a lot of people make the trip every year to Hunapu for Cigar City, and I'm usually one of them. But uh, my first stop whenever I get off the plane is going to Coppertail. Uh, Casey Hughes, who's the brewer there, was a brewer here in Jersey for a lot of years and has always been a, been a, been a big fan of his beers. And the, the thing that I kind of love when I go down there is their flagships run the gamut. So they have the IPA, uh, they have a porter, but then they also have a year-round triple on tap, which is not something you see all that much anymore. And uh, I'm, I'm really kind of a fan of it. So I, I, I dig what they're doing there. And if you haven't checked them out when you've been in that part of Florida, I highly recommend it. Fantastic. First on my list, uh, Burial Beer Company out of Asheville, North Carolina. If you listen to the podcast, I'm sure you can flip back and listen to that episode that I recorded with those guys. But, uh, I, you know, I've been out to Asheville a number of times over the years. And the first time I went to Burial, we, you know, we stopped in. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Beer's, all, beer's fine. Um, cool little spot, definitely a little edgy. And, uh, you know, we kept paying attention to get, get some beer here and there from them. And, uh, uh, just noticed over the next following few years, um, the, the quality of the beer skyrocketed. Um, and after spending some time with them out there earlier this year, uh, when we were in Asheville in March for a brewery accelerator event, um, just some of the most awesome people that I've met in the world of beer. And so that combination of beers that, uh, just blow me away and, uh, j- just a fantastic philosophy around their business and the way that they brew, um, has, has made them one of the, the most exciting breweries in the country, you know, as far as I'm concerned, love them. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and they have one of the best, uh, murals on the, <laughs> the brewery as well, Tom Selleck. No, it's, uh, t- it's Tom Selleck uh, hugging Sloth from the Goonies. Oh, it's, uh, it's, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, they, uh, they made uh, your, you actually uh, put them on our uh, best in beers list for their Billows Kolsch last year in 2017. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's funny. I was there a couple of years ago and uh, hanging out with some of the brewers and there's some other brewers from out of town who are in town as well. And uh, we're watching the line and everybody's lining up for, for skillet and uh, special skillet and all of these uh, pastry stouts and everything. And all of the brewers were just standing in the back drinking Kolsch. And uh, I realized, you know, that, that there's so many breweries that are just making the beers that they want to drink that people aren't going to line up for it. But uh, damn if it's not delicious. These guys make both of those. They make uh, the, they make brewers beers with a pretty extensive lager program. They make pastry stouts, and they make just some beautiful, 
well-executed, uh, hazy and flavorful IPAs. And so, yeah. Yeah. Who's next on your list? Tributary. And they're in Kittery, Maine. And so the name might not be too, uh, familiar to too many folks, but the brewer certainly should be. Uh, Todd Mott, who has been brewing in New England for, gosh, forever, uh, who used to be at the Portsmouth Brewery uh, on the other side of the river there in New Hampshire, uh, opened up his own spot a couple of years ago. And he's just making old school styles that are so well done. Uh, and one of the beers that he was known for uh, back in the day before uh, this was really a huge style was uh, Imperial Stouts uh, aged in barrels and it was called Kate the Great after his wife. Uh, when he left, the brewery actually made a big deal about saying that he was taking the recipe with him, uh, that it was his intellectual property, which is something you don't hear about all too often uh, these days in beer. And uh, he has renamed it as Todd the Lesser and you can get it every uh, every autumn when it comes out, but it's a, it's, it's a great beer and Todd is just one of the, the, the great gentlemen of brewing and one of the, the smartest brewing minds that, that's been around in this area. Uh, gosh, for more than a generation. And so uh, anytime you're driving up from Boston to Portland on 95, it's worth making a stop at his place. Cheers to that. Yeah. Um, What's on yours? Pint House Pizza out of Austin, Texas. You know, if you listened a couple weeks ago, I did a a wonderful podcast with, uh, uh, or I should say, I did a podcast with the wonderful uh, (laughs) Joe Morfeld. Yeah. Good self-correction there. Trust me, it's 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 all the folks I'm talking to. It has nothing to do with me. Um, you know, uh, it was a w- interesting timing in that we finished the podcast, posted it the next day. The next morning, I get a text from uh, from Joe. He's like, "Hey, uh, he sends me a picture of him winning the Alpha King Challenge." <laughs> so so it was it, it felt really good to get that up there and out when we did. And then uh, the next day at the, at the GAB, at GABF uh, awards ceremony, he won, I think, a gold medal for training binds. And so uh, Pint House Pizza, you know, all the beers they made. We, we went down and uh, visited Austin for a brewer's retreat event in uh, May of this year and spent some time hanging with Joe and the crew. Uh, tra- tasting through all of their beers, just such spectacular work. And what I what I really love about them is their beers taste like them. You know, there's a there's a character, there's a quality and a baseline quality to all of it that they do. But then they've built, you know, they just have a uh, you know a specific um, you know flavor profile that fits where they are, fits their location, fits you know what you expect from this kind of place. And so you know it's easy to think, oh, it's a pizza joint then with with a brewery and and just kind of write it off. But man, Pint House Pizza is crushing it these days. So they're that they're the next one on my list. How about yours? Uh, Chuck a nut. So anybody who listens to the episodes when I'm hosting uh, will know that I'll try any beer that's put in front of me. But uh, I really appreciate the subtlety and the skill that goes into making well-crafted lagers and pilsners. And when you're up in Bellingham, Washington, and I had the opportunity to visit there earlier this year, um, uh, Will Kemper has been making fantastic lagers uh, in the U.S. for Gosh, more than a generation now at this point. And at his brewery there that he runs with his wife, Mari, uh, they have just a multitude of lagers on at any given time. And the skill and the flavor and just the the passion that goes into each batch uh, makes me wish that I lived closer. And so I'm encouraging everybody, if uh, if you love lagers, uh, definitely seek it out. And it's, it's kind of fun up in the Pacific Northwest as well, where uh, hops are definitely ruling everything around uh, uh you know, the drinking space. So it's nice, a little respite now and again to, to go in there and, you know, have something where there is a hot bite to it, but it's not going to bang you over the head. 
Now, I hear you loggers figure heavily into my list, and uh, that's one of the reasons that the next brewery is on mine, Alvarado Street Brewery out of uh, Monterey and Salinas, California. You know, again, another one that I I podcasted with JC, one of the the founders of the brewery uh, late last year, uh, went out and visited them, saw their lager tanks. Uh, They're known for everything from kettle sours to to hazy IPAs, or just expressive, expressive yeast forward IPAs, if we're using his language for it. Um, you know, but, but loggers are a very core component of what they do as well. And they brew them for themselves and, um, you know, all around, it makes for a fantastic, well-rounded brewery. They just this year finally launched uh, beers under their yeast of Eden brand for wild and uh, spontaneous beers. And so, um, those, uh, that I've tasted so far are fantastic too. Alvarado street, uh, is the last on my list of top three small breweries, 15,000 barrels or less. So let's talk about top regional or national brewery, John. Uh, uh, what is yours this year? It's Sun King out of Indianapolis. Um, I got to know these guys uh, years ago when I was a kid reporter out at the Indianapolis Star. Uh, gosh, like 20 years ago now, it seems like at this point. And uh, these guys were just getting started. And I got to, to meet the brewers when they were working at another place at the, the late night shift. And it's been amazing to watch them grow. And year after year after year, they're continuously racking up medals. Uh, they're moving into new space. They've opened up a couple of different locations throughout Indiana. Uh, they've become one of the, the, the larger regional players by mostly following the new Glarus model as well, uh, by mostly staying in Indianapolis or Indiana itself. And uh, by doing that, they've really been able to, to corner the market, uh, grow quite a bit, and establish themselves as not only makers of you know great beers like a like a like a wee heavy and a cream ale, uh, but some of the the more interesting and uh, thoughtful barrel aged beers that I've had uh, in in quite some time, and certainly in the U.S. Definitely agree with you there, and I've had some great beers from Sun King over the last two years. Yeah, I remember Magpie Muckle is when they won a GBF Metal Four, and uh, they sent us some of that fantastic, weird, different, and uh, uh, you know, but thoroughly satisfying beer. Yeah, what's uh, My, what's your uh, top brewery? Mine. It's uh, the brewery that actually I'm drinking a glass uh, of their beer right now. Live Oak Brewing out of Austin, Texas. Uh, it seems kind of like a, like a, an easy pick for me, but I'm drinking a, a can of their Grodziski right now. Uh, a beer that Stan Hieronymus put on his top beers of the year in his critics list. Um, Live Oak, we went down and I had to do it because, you know, I think smoked beers get a bad rap. And uh, Chip McElroy, founder of, uh, of Live Oak, uh, said something when he, w- when he was giving us a tour back in May um, that you know, I think the exact quote was, uh, we're going to keep making smoked beers until people drink them. Last year, 2017 GABF, uh, they, they showed up to GABF with four beers. All four of them were smoked beers. And it was just this beautiful statement from this brewery that makes a fantastic half and an amazing Pilsner. Um, you know, but here they are. They're, like, they're just going to, you know, they're, they're uh, a good-sized regional brewery and they make a lot of beer. But smoked beers are their labor, labor of love. And, I mean, you got to love a brewery that has printed cans for their Grodziski. I mean, that is just the craziest, weirdest thing ever. But uh, got to celebrate that, uh, and I love breweries of their uh, their size and scale that still maintain the kind of personality and the kind of we're going to do what we want to do and we're going to do it our way, you know, approach to brewing. And uh, so, cheers, Live Oak, for that. Yeah. Next category is our top five individual beers of the year. Do you want to get us started on that one, John? Yeah. Uh- I'm going to catch some flack for this uh, just uh, because of uh, the company that I keep elsewhere. But uh, Carton Brewing did an oh, inside John, our John. DNA. I know. I know. How much, well, did, how much uh, did Augie pay you for that? that <laughs> not enough. Not enough. Um, 
but no, here, here's the thing. I, Your editorial I, I, integrity is shot. It's, now. it's, it's not, but here's the thing. Uh, this is a really, this is a stand up beer and he gave a lot of thought to this one. And, uh, we're going to be writing about this in, in, in an upcoming issue of the magazine, but they got this huge footer, uh, footer and they put, uh, an IPA in it and they did it just like how, uh, Ballantines used to do it back in the day. And so what you're getting is this really throwback IPA, uh, with this really soft, subtle oak character in the background. Uh, and as they say, it's, it's going to age really well into an American barley wine and, uh, they do a lot of gimmick beers, and and I, you know, I give Augie hell for that all the time. But this 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 was not a gimmick. This was a, a true homage and a, a really nice stand up IPA. All right, and I my, like giving uh, Jersey the love. But you know, what about you? You, you know, you got to. Mine's also an IPA, uh, and I'm going to give Portland, Oregon, some love on this one uh, with uh, Great Notion Brewing Space Invader. Uh, you know, I am a sucker for Galaxy Hops. And uh, Space Invader is all about the galaxy. You know, I'm also a sucker for perfectly placed uh, sweetness in a hazy IPA that, that's just ideally balanced with, uh, you know, a nice little bitterness and backbone, but also some malt character. Um, you know, and I got it. I mean, I probably drink, you know, I've probably had five or six hundred hazy IPAs over the past year. It's one of my favorite styles, and it's easy to get jaded on it. It's easy to get to that point where you think, oh, you know. Okay, all of these taste the same, and then you know, then one of those beers comes along, like uh, like Space Invader, like reminds me of everything that I love about this style. Just you know, just expressive uh, celebration of the individual you know flavors within the hops, um, with all of those other pieces in the right place. And so you know, that beer actually hit me at a kind of a low point where I was getting pretty bummed about a whole series of hazy IPAs that I'd had and. Uh, you know, and then I sat down and tasted that, and it was it was going through beers for a best of issue. You know, it's hard to find those those beers of individual character, you know, amidst a crowded category that really stand above. And and that one hit me. I was like, you know what? This is this is it. This is this is why I love this style, and this is why I love uh, you know beer in general. Yeah, I dig it. What's next on your list? Well, I actually come out your way, and when we were at the Weldworks Invitational earlier this year out in Greeley, Colorado, I had the chance to try Cerebral's Barrel-Aged Ancient Ruins, the Rocky Road Edition, and it tastes... This is a pastry style, Joe. I know it's a pastry style. A pastry style. You know, I know. It's, I'm, I'm throwing the world upside down at this point, uh, but I really dug it. it. It has all of the great elements of that fantastic ice cream flavor, and you know, I, I didn't have too much of it because I got into a diabetic coma, um, but it really stands out uh, it, with the nuance of the flavors, uh, with the skill that they put into it, uh, and just sort of some of the creativity as well. There's a lot of these pastry stands that come out that say, oh, we're trying to be, you know, this, or we're trying to mimic this. And you kind of get it, uh, but it's mostly just heavy-handed in the wrong way. Uh, this has just the nuance that I think the style needs. And, uh, yeah, I really love it. Fantastic. And the yeah. bad news for everyone out there is that uh, Sean tells me that he is never going to bottle that beer. That uh, it just, he just can't. So it's something you'll only be able to get on draft. So, uh, yeah, scope it out at your Time nearest festival Denver. or yeah. in their tap room. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colorado is on next on my list, too. I mean, I obviously I live in Colorado and have a, a special place in my heart for Colorado, but uh, I also try to keep my list as, you know, focused as broadly as possible. This is one exception to that. Outer Range Brewing uh, from Frisco, Colorado, and the beer is In the Steep. This one is a Citra, Hazy Citra Soft IPA, and uh, it is just uh, just a game changer for me. Absolutely love this beer. Yeah, I was just up there, actually, in uh, Breckenridge and Frisco this past weekend and looked for a story on Outer Range breakout brewer story in an upcoming issue of craft beer and brewing magazine um 
so talked to, to Lee and Emily. They've been friends of ours for a little while and uh, just just more, couldn't be a more beautiful brewery. And their approach to, uh, to making these soft and expressive IPAs is, is just fantastic. And so in the steep, that's my next one. How about yours? My, my next one was Daddio Pilsner from Yazoo down in Nashville. We uh, spent some time there during the Craft Brewers Conference early this year. I have family uh, who lives down there, so I'm down, I'm down there quite a bit. And they changed up their hop schedule uh, on the beer this year. And they, uh, they started using uh, Callista and Ariana hops. And they did a special va- uh, batch of this Daddio Pilsner uh, just for the Craft Brewers Conference this year. And it was such a hit that they're actually changing it up full time. And it's going to be standing out uh, or it's going to be on shelves and on tap uh, fairly soon for, for everybody to drink. But uh, in, a, in a sea of Pilsners, this one stood head and shoulders above the rest for me this year. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that beer was fantastic. Next on my list, uh, Monkish, Glamour, Glitters, and Gold. And, you know, when I say this, it really could be just about any Monkish IPA or double IPA or triple IPA that I've had this year. Uh, they are one of those where I don't think I've, I've had any of them that I would, would feel are any less than absolutely spectacular. But, you know, I, uh, Henry came out to our, and Henry and Andrew and Adriana came out to our, uh, our retreat in Austin this past year. Um, and you know, we get to do selfish things like invite awesome brewers whose, uh, whose beer we love to come to do events with us. And uh, we're thoroughly ecstatic and excited when they say yes, it was really fun to get to hang with them. It was really fun to get to drink a bunch of their beers and talk with them about how they make it. Um, obviously that episode of the podcast is out here and I hope you go back and listen to it if you haven't already. Um, but every time I try to think, Oh, you know what? Like this beer can't be worth what traders are out there trading it for. Um, I, one of my nerdy beer nerd trader friends will pull a can in and it's like, Hey, I just got some monkish in. let's drink it, you know, because this is the life that I live. Right. And, uh, you know, so we, so we pop open some monkish and I'm always reminded that, uh, you know, it is, it is so perfectly balanced and in, and it's so clear in its intention. You know, it does exactly what they try to do, which is capture all of those hops flavors and celebrate that whole, whole, you know, idea of hops flavor everywhere from the bitterness to that, uh, you know, to the, the, you know, fruit and citrus and tropical flavors that, that come with that. And so, um, you know, there's an intensity, but also a subtlety and nuance and sophistication to his, uh, I should say, to their hazy IPAs that uh, I really think is kind of unmatched out there in the world of brewing. Awesome. I agree with you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of their beers as well. Um, staying in California. So earlier this year, uh, before it even had a name, I was hanging out with uh, Jeffers uh, Richardson from uh, Firestone's Barrel Works. And he brought this beer that they uh, did a collaboration with a with a local winery, and it's a hybrid of a Pinot Noir and a Blondale uh, that they did in the Champagne style. And everybody who had it at the moment was just stunned into silence. It was it was that remarkable. Uh, it didn't have a name at the point uh, at that point, but it does now. It's called Feral Brute, uh, and apparently. All of us that day who who had it uh, for for the first time uh, were not alone because it was awarded gold at GABF this year uh, in the um, in the barrel category. So uh, congratulations to those guys. And if you're able to get a, a, a bottle of this feral brute, uh, it's worth whatever people are asking you to pay for because it, it is just a, a standout knockout beer. 
you sound so smart for having picked that ahead of the GBF judging. Charm. Well done. <laughs> it's, well done. It's a, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. So, and you know, well, no, but this, uh, all this issue, the, uh, best and beer issue was put to bed, uh, actually the week before JBF, before any yep. of these awards were out. And so, uh, you know, I would say in 2017, I did the same thing, uh, you know, and, and had a, a beer in my, uh, editor's picks for best of 2017 that the later one, I think a GBF silver. And, uh, I was, Subtly patting myself on the back for that. Yeah, you know, silver's uh, nice. Silver's <laughs> nice. I mean, it's not gold, but silver's It's not nice. gold. You're right. You're right. In <laughs> fact, the next beer on my list is from that same brewery, Side Project Brewing. Uh, Four Candles is next on my list. Last year, I think it was, uh, gosh, I can't remember the, oh, it was uh, Blended 2017. That was, uh, that was on my list that I think they won a silver for. Um, of course, I'm going to have to fact check myself. Maybe it wasn't a silver. I, but I believe that's what it was. Anyway, we were out at the Firestone Walker Invitational in uh, Paso Robles in June of this past year. Uh, and it was hot as hell because it's always hot as hell at the Firestone Invitational. Um, last kind of last day on the earth that you'd want to be drinking big, hefty, barrel-aged stouts. But you know what? I went back for multiple pours of four candles, which was great because you know, they just kept them coming. Um, there was something about this still uncarbonated stout that was that just struck me as this beautiful approach to blending um, with multiple layers of, of interesting character from burnt molasses to anise. Um, you know, but also just a perfectly appointed sweetness, nice roast and bitterness. I mean, it was just all of those pieces that came together perfectly, you know. And, and so on a day where we also uh, also uh, drank beers like uh, Beer Barrel Time and I, uh, one of the derivations that uh, that Corey had brought, it was it was still four candles that stuck, stood out to me. Um, I still think about drinking that amazing stout on that horribly hot day. Um, but yeah, there it is. How, what's next on your list? Uh, I needed another IPA on there because hops rule everything around us. And uh, Ruben's Brews, Bits and Bobs out of Seattle. I uh, spent an, an afternoon there earlier this year and uh, had quite a few glasses of this. And it's an always changing um, uh, IPA, but you, you can just, no matter what uh, the recipe is, you know, when you have it, uh, you can be guaranteed that it's going to be of the finest quality. Uh, Adam, who runs that brewery, uh, is just one of the more thoughtful uh, home brewers turned pro that I've had the the good fortune to to meet and interview and talk with over the years. And uh, this this IPA is just a perfect example of his uh, tinkering spirit uh, that comes with putting together great recipes. So uh, go check it out if you're in the greater Pacific Northwest area. Couldn't agree more. Love Ruben's Brews. Adam's amazing. We had some triple crush at uh, GABF this year. That uh, that was one of those beers that changed my mind about triple IPAs. You know, I, you get these ideas, you know, lodged in your head like, ah, triple IPAs. Man, who wants to drink that? You know, and then you have a beer like Triple Crush from Rubens. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, this is why this is amazing and why people love this kind of beer. And, uh, you know, I love that he could shake me out of my uh, curmudgeonly uh, refusal to like and accept Triple IPAs, um, you know, and change my mind on that. So, yeah, cheers to Ruben. Next up on my list, Highland Park Brewery, uh, Eddie Pills. This is another one that uh, you know that uh, we we tasted at the Firestone Walker Invitational. Uh, one of the things I love about Highland Park is they play both in the traditional Pilsner game and a contemporary Pilsner game. Um, Eddie Pills falls in the contemporary category. I believe this one was dry hopped with uh, Nelson Sauvin, a hop that I absolutely love that I know is polarizing out there. Some people hate Nelson Sauvin. Some people love it. I, I fall in that love category because I just love the way it kind of dry 
dries out, even uh, uh, less dry beers with this you know kind of white wine character to it and a little bit of grassiness and a little bit of herbalness. Um, this Pilsner, you know, one of the reasons I loved it is that it captures that hop character in such a beautiful way, but it never loses sight of the fact that it's a Pilsner. You know, I think it's easy for, for these kinds of progressively hopped Pilsners to kind of just veer straight off into India Pale Lager territory and become their own thing. But they care as much about making sure that the Pilsner character of the beer is there as they do that the hops character is there. And, uh, you know, that absolutely just does it for me. So, yeah, Highland Park Brewery. Yeah, it's a great beer. Do you have Absolutely. any honorable mentions? Any honorable any honorable mentions, John? No, I I always had a space on uh, on on my page in the magazine, but you have a couple. I threw a few in there just for fun. Uh, a couple that I had that I thought were interesting. Edmonds Oast Brewing Company uh, Mexican Cake IPA. I had to put that one in there because you know when I saw Mexican Cake IPA on the label, I thought, oh my god, <laughs> this is going to be the worst beer I've ever had. And then you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you do this enough, you drink enough beer, you know, you can kind of you kind of uh, make some judgments that most of the time are correct. This time I was just completely off pace. Like that beer was actually really interesting for a pastry IPA um, in a style that I am generally not that interested in. But uh, I thought they executed very well and uh, was was happy to try it. Uh, Beerstadt Lagerhouse, Slow Pour Pills. I think that's probably going to be on my list as a Colorado guy from here until eternity. So I don't need to explain that one. Uh, Perennial. Uh, Barrel-aged Abraxas and Barrel-aged Sump are a couple. You know, every year they we get them. Thank you, uh, Katie and Phil and Emily at uh, Perennial for sending us samples of those beers in particular. Um, every year I wait for something to slip up, and every year I, you know, they are still the, some of the best stouts that I that I ever put in my mouth. Um, just so beautifully executed, so um, cohesive in their construction, you know, with no pieces out of place and just a perfectly smooth uh, flavor and flow experience from the first sip to the uh, ending uh, lingering aftertaste. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, Barrel-Aged Abraxas and Barrel-Aged Sump, both both amazing beers. Also on that uh, Barrel-Aged Stout category, Weldworks, Vanilla and Coconut Media Noches, spectacular Barrel-Aged beers. And of course, I'm lucky to be local and have access to them fairly frequently. Uh, so those are the, the nice things that I get to enjoy. Uh, Civil Life Brewing Company, American Brown Ale, you know, just because it can't all be hazy IPAs and big stouts and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> man, that, that Brown Ale... Uh, they sent us some earlier this year. Actually, I should say we I went there uh, about two years ago when we were in when we were in um, St. Louis, and John Bolton and I, our uh, craft beer and brewing co-founder and I, uh, after, after you know visiting the craft uh, the side project cellar and uh, Four Hands and uh, you know Schlafly and a few other places, ended up at Civil Life and thought oh we'll just pop in and have a round and uh, you know one round ended up with two rounds which ended up with two or three more rounds us playing darts in the back and enjoying some fantastic uh, cask ales and traditional, uh, you know, mild ale styles. And, you know, it was just a beautiful way to spend an evening and a beautiful way to enjoy beer that is not uh, hipster beer by any stretch, but is so beautifully well made that it just kind of disappears into the back as you enjoy the experience of the people around you. And I think that's one fantastic way the craft beer can be. So Amer uh, Civil Life, uh, American cool. Brown. Yeah. Let's talk about a classic beer that you will always order if it's on the menu, John. Pilsner Kell. I love it. It's uh, the the brewery. I mean, it's it's a classic brewery to begin with. Uh, it is the style 
uh, or it is the beer that created the style, that is the benchmark of the style. And uh, since the brewery started changing it up a couple of years ago and making sure that what was coming into the U.S. was actually fresh and not light-struck and not stale, uh, anytime that I see it, especially on draft, I know that I'm going to be able to get a, a, a really just nice easygoing glass of pills and uh, from the spicy says to the biscuity bready malt uh, in there there's there's always something that's just a little fun and intriguing about that beer uh, it's not flashy uh, but it's 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 classic and it's reliable what what was yours absolutely saison dupont oh yeah you know i mean this one's i guess it's kind of an easy one too but you know if i'm uh if i'm eating out uh, there are very few beers that I enjoy more than uh, Saison DuPont with a meal because that kind of you know dry and crisp yet uh, mildly estery profile the Saison just seems to complement anything that I'm eating but also you know provide that kind of you know tight effervescence that, that cleanses the palate between sips. I mean it is you know it's just a fantastic beer that uh, pairs with just almost anything and so that's why it's a classic that I'll always order. How about your uh, favorite beer city, John? Nashville. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I go down there a couple of times a year. We have family there. I've been going for you know quite a while. And the beer scene, uh, the metro area is booming, but the beer scene especially so. And there's so many cool breweries that are popping up. Uh, there's such great live music that's happening where you can also drink local as well. You don't just have to drink uh, Bud Longnecks as you're hanging on on Broadway anymore, uh, which is really kind of great. And Yazoo is certainly uh, fueling that. But uh, every time I go down there, there's two or three new breweries that have opened up in the area, and it's just it's, it's fun to go exploring and. See see, uh, you know, not only how the local cuisine is playing into uh, the beers that are being made, but how the national conversation uh, is really being boiled down and distilled uh, into a Nashville original with a lot of places like Bearded Irish, like Cezanne's, um, and so many others that are that are popping up. So it's uh, it's a great city to, to go and visit if, if you haven't before. Where, uh, where do you like drinking? Where's your I'm, favorite beer city? I'm going to keep it in the South this year and, uh, and give a shout out to Richmond, Virginia. Wow. Made a trip out there. And in fact, uh, you can read my beercation story on about my visit to Richmond, Virginia in this uh, Best in Beer issue. But you know what? I think Richmond is one of those cities that's primed for its notoriety on par with some of the bigger beer cities in America right now. Um, the, the breweries from you know, the Vale and Triple Crossing and now, of course, Stone, uh, Licking Hole Creek, uh, Hardywood Park, of course. Uh, you know, they have just set this town apart and they are brewing some fantastic beer, but have built such a beautiful beer scene. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic place to visit and everybody should put it on their list. And you stayed in that general area for your favorite uh, beer bar or beer bar that everyone should experience. I did. I did. I stayed there with Church Key in Washington, D.C. Uh, maybe I've got Northern Virginia on the mind, but uh, they, hey, there it is. Uh, Church Key. You know what I love about Church Key? And, and, and some of this I, I can give a shout out to uh, Greg Engert, their beer director, uh, with his philosophy about uh, building um, categorizations around beers based on flavors, not necessarily styles. Um, it's a philosophy that I have embraced. And uh, as we've uh, designed beer menus for beer bars like one that we owned here in Fort Collins, Tap and Handle, um, it's one we've taken to heart, you know, building an idea of what beers taste like rather than uh, historical ideas of style. And I love that uh, Church Key's beer list is built around, yeah, again, what, what beers taste like and not just expecting people to understand what style, what style means when they say it that way. Um, their beer list is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I always look at it time to time, whether I'm in the area or not, just to see uh, who's hot and uh, who they're pulling in because, you know, I mean, they're, they're key influencers on the East Coast. 
the places that I picked uh, in this category do not have phenomenal beer lists. I just want to point that out right off the bat. <laughs> um, but there, there are two bars that I think everybody should experience uh, at least once in your life or multiple times. And the first is McSorley's uh, on 7th in Manhattan, uh, which is just this great old bar um, that uh, you really have to experience in order to, to, to get the full dose of it. They only yes, serve yes, two beers, <laughs> light and dark. And uh, neither of them are very good, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is to really soak in the atmosphere uh, when you're there. And you get the, uh, the the cheese and onion plate with a sleeve of saltine crackers as well to, to help you wash down the beer. And uh, and it's, it's a great way to while away a Tuesday afternoon. Um, I hear uh, you. I, uh, I lived in New York City for 10 years, and uh, we'd pop into McSorley's every now and then. And, you know, yeah, the beer wasn't amazing, but, uh, God, it was a fantastic experience every time. Yeah, yeah. And the other place that I picked is actually the Brown Bottle, which is in the old Schlitz Brewery in Milwaukee. And they pay homage to that. It was the old, uh, uh, I think, executive dining room or workman's room or something like that. But it, it's, it's, it's a wood-paneled bar and Russ Klitsch from Lakefront, the brewery there in Milwaukee, introduced me to this place a couple years ago. And you drink some old uh, – drink out of some old – Pilsner glasses of, uh, of Schlitz that's now made by Miller uh, out there. And uh, you look at some of the old pictures on the walls from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and it's an era of uh, – a bygone era of beer, but it's it's a throwback in time with a throwback beer, and it's, uh, it's a fun experience if, if you have a chance to, to go and check that out. Um, and, you know, on, on the gadgets, uh, we both actually have uh, the same love for the item that you mentioned in your column. I do, and on that note, I got to open another beer. Unfortunately, okay. it's a, it's a can, and so I can't use my <laughs> item there. But uh, you know, I got to got to keep the liquid flowing here. No, that that item is something that uh, Mark Carpenter, the former brewmaster of Anchor Brewing, gave to me while we were out there a few years ago, and it's one of their titanium uh, bottle openers. Now, you can't really be a beer fan without having a bottle opener. It's pretty pretty crucial to this whole thing, right? Yes. Um, you know, but also as a, you know, semi-fashion conscious, but also like way OCD kind of person, like I, I want to have a bottle opener on me that also is as minimal and uh, as flattering in my pocket as it possibly can be and also light. And man, that titanium bottle opener from Anchor Steam, it, I mean, it's one of the greatest things that they've ever designed. I mean, it, oh, it is, hands down. It is so, I mean, it is incredibly strong. The titanium can rip through wax like nobody's business. Um, it sits lightly, you know, it's just about the size of a key, so it doesn't get too big in your pocket. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just about perfect. And it's the shape of the famous anchor bottle. So, it is. uh, yeah. so yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun, yeah, I've, I've been carrying it for, gosh, I don't know, 15 years now or so, and it's just, uh, um, I don't know what I'd do without it, actually. People so call it's... me crazy, but I obsess on this one item so much. I mean, it is <laughs> it is really uh, weird just how OCD and obsessive I get about that. Uh, how about a beer glass? What, what glass do you find using the most? You know, I, I have two, actually. Um, and there, there's nothing all that exciting about them. Uh, but it's a Rastal tulip that I got at Saver back in 2014 when it was here in New York. And just by nature of it being in the front of my cabinet from frequent use, it's sort of become my go-to uh, beer glass. And I, I like the shape of the tulip to begin with. Um, uh, it has some uh, the, the two-ounce mark on it, and then it also has the uh, the 10-ounce mark on it as well. So if I'm doing tastings or if I just want uh, to, to pour properly, it's nice to have those marks on there. But it's, uh, uh, it's utilitarian, and it, it's... it's just my nature of the rotation uh, of, of my glassware, but it is definitely uh, my go-to these days. What about for you? 
So we're in bonus content area for you right now. And this is that does not appear in the magazine. I know. uh, The listeners to the podcast get special, special extra content there. Um, (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe. Yeah. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Nonstop shilling all the time. Um, No, one of my favorite glasses is a variation of the glass that I'm drinking out of right now. Right now I'm drinking out of a Rastel Harmony Stemless. Uh, I think it's like a 45 uh, centiliter. But. Um, one of my favorites is a Rastel Harmony 35 uh, glass that uh, the folks at True Brewing gave to us. It's base, it's a wine glass, you know, but it's got that beautiful little angled base to it and a nice kind of modern, you know, uh, bowl with uh, straight sides and uh, just just love it. It's got a nice little thin lip. I mean, I'm, I mean, I get really nerdy about my beer glasses and having nice thin lips without a like a you know a, 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 a kind of large rolled area on it. Uh, having nice thin walls of the glass. Those are all things that I, I highly prize. And so yeah, I love drinking out of this one. It's also not as uh, fragile as uh, says some of the Spiegelaus or uh, Zalto or something along those lines. And so I can hand out hand uh, stand up. To my washing regimen, or my put it in the dishwasher because I'm too lazy to hand wash it kind of regimen. Yeah. Another, another beer glass I drink a lot of uh, is uh, the Libby Munique glass. Um, that one, I think, it was one that we we picked up on down at Modern Times in San Diego, and then found oh wait, Modern Times Ballast Point. A lot of you know, it's a very popular glass in San Diego, and I found it to to just be really fun one to drink all sorts of styles out of, from IPAs to you know Belgian beers and whatnot because it's almost like a a tulip with a like a focused uh, kind of cylindrical nose, uh, you know, off of it to kind of hold that aroma and and uh, push it up towards your nose as you take a sip. So, yeah, love love that Libby Muni class. Very cool. All right, as so I take another sip. Um, next up, that is our critics lists. Uh, again, for more, uh, we have similar lists from Stan Hieronymus, Alex Kidd, M. Sauter, Josh Weikert. Etc. Um, check out the magazine for all of their lists. We're not going to get into that just out of time right now. Next, we're going to talk. Uh, go back to a reader's choice list. Who brews it best? Um, this is this was really fun when we came up with this category a couple years ago when we were uh, ideating on our best in beer issue. Uh, you know, I wanted to find a way to talk about breweries that uh, were in you know into smaller niches. And when you talk about you know, like top fifty breweries, you're going to get the biggest breweries that are most distributed in the United States. You're not necessarily going to catch on to some nuance. And so we started to ask, well, hey, you know, who's who's your favorite IPA brewer, and uh, who's your favorite stout brewer, who's your favorite saison brewer, who's your favorite sour or wild ale brewer? And you know what? This is where my our readers restored my faith in beer. Um, (laughs) so for every one of you that says, Oh my gosh, too hard. That's not the best beer in the world. I can't believe they voted that way or Sierra Nevada paleo. Yeah, I can't believe, you know, um, this is, this is the list for you. So we're going to run through some of the categories here. John, do you want to talk about, uh, our readers five, uh, favorite. And I should say in the magazine, we're going to, we, each of these lists is a list of 20 breweries. Uh, we're going to tell you the top five, uh, just so we can keep moving through this and, uh, and then you have an incentive to go read the magazine issue to see all the rest, don't you? Yes. So favorite American IPA brewers. Favorite American IPA brewers. Number five, Dogfish Head. Number four, Bells. Number three, Sierra Nevada. Number two, Russian River. And number one, according to our readers, is Stone. Um, hazy IPA brewer, Jamie? Yeah, favorite hazy IPA brewers. This is the first year that we've had this category. 
Um, you know, and so of course all of these entries are new, but uh, an interestingly nuanced list with some big guys and some small guys and uh, a lot of regional variation in here. Number five, Weldworks. Uh, number four, Sierra Nevada, that hazy little thing, getting a lot of traction for them. Mm. Um, couldn't have like bigger and smaller breweries right next to each other there, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> number three, The Alchemist. Uh, there you go. A classic in the hazy category. Number two, Trillium out of Boston. And number one, Treehouse. Also out of Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, when we jump over to Cezanne's, number five is Hill Farmstead. Number four is Funkworks. Number three, Oma Gang. Number two, Boulevard. And to nobody's surprise at number one, Brasserie DuPont. You know, some things are consistent year over year. And DuPont at number one and Boulevard number two, you know, both number one and two last year as well. Uh, fantastic choices. And like I said, you know, they can kind of restore your faith in, uh, in beer humanity when you see such uh, smart choices. Our list for favorite Belgian or Belgian style brewer, uh, interestingly enough, is exactly the same as the 2017 list. Uh, number five spot, St. Bernardus. Uh, number four spot, West Vlederden. Uh, number three spot, Allagash. Number two spot, Shime. And Omegang in the number one spot. Tell us about yeah. favorite sour or wild ale brewer, John. So number five, Wicked Weed. Number four, Crooked Stave. Number three, Jolly Pumpkin. Number two, Jester King. And of course, number one, Cantillon. And again, these are, you know, these, these shouldn't come as a surprise. These breweries do what they do really well and get their, the recognition that they deserve from uh, not only us, but, but certainly the readers as well. Uh, Stout and Porter is up next. Stout and Porter in the number five spot, Goose Island. In the number four spot, North Coast. Good old, old Rasputin is driving that one. Uh, left Hand, of course, with their Milk Stout is in number three. Guinness Stout is, makes a, or is put Guinness in that number two spot. And to no one's surprise who uh, heard our top 50 brewers lists, Founders is in that number one spot for favorite <laughs> Stout or Porter. Um, as we jump over to Pale Ale, uh, Deschutes came in at number five, Trillium at number four, number three is Three Floyds, number two is Oscar Blues, and again, no surprise, number one, Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada, of course, the, uh, the kings of the pale ale right there. Most of those, uh, actually, um, one, two, and three spots, all carryovers also from 2017, so a lot of consistency in that category. Let's talk about favorite lager brewer, last category on this one. Uh, number five spot, Jungling. Uh, the biggest craft brewer in America. Number How did you pronounce that? Yungling? I always thought it was Yingling. Yingling? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. We're going to have to get a ruling on this at some point. Is that with your uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey accent? Or, uh, <laughs> I don't have which, a Pennsylvania accent. But, which uh, honestly was probably the correct one, you know, given you know, the difference with my own accent. So Yingling? Yingling. Yingling in the number five spot. In uh, the number four spot, a brewery that's just almost as large as they are, uh, Bierstadt Lagerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Maybe not. Maybe not quite. Uh, n- number three spot, Firestone Walker. Good old Pivo and Firestone Lager. Uh, number two spot, Jack's Abbey from uh, Massachusetts. And in the number one spot, another Massachusetts brewery, or at least Boston-founded brewery, Samuel Adams. Yeah. All right. Let's pivot cool. now. Um, All right. Now that we've uh, gone through those readers' choices, let's talk about uh, what I would call the biggest and most important of our categories in the best in beer issue, and that's our editor's picks for the best 18 beers of 2018. Yeah, this was was really hard. 
uh, and also a lot of fun to put together. It's uh, one of the perks of the job is being able to talk with great brewers, but also drink the beers that that are being made. And uh, out of the the hundreds and hundreds of beers uh, that we have uh, every year, there's always some that that stand out. Uh, hundreds among the rest. and hundreds of beers, John. Oh yeah, are you no. are you thousands of thousands? I uh, you know I I use Untapped for one reason, and that is not to rate beers because I don't rate any beers on Untapped. But I use it because they have a fantastic pool of data, and it's very easy to keep track of what I drink, where I drank it, and uh, you know what the context was around that. And so every year when we're compiling our, our best of issue, I I you know pay the money to get the advanced membership or whatever, which allows me to download the spreadsheet and go look through all of it, and. Uh, I, it's, I average around 2,000 different beers per year, um, something I'm wow. not necessarily proud of. Um, my doctors have probably uh, advised me to do something different than that, but uh, it is a pretty you know, significant number of beers, and about I think about 70% of those are uh, unique beers. Um, but we, you know, we take this seriously. We try to tr- uh, taste a lot of beers, um, you know, and a lot of those are small samples of one or two ounces and not entire beers because if I averaged an actual six pints of beer per day, I'd be dead by now. Yeah. Um, but our method on this is the highly scientific. Uh, John and I get together. We ask some of our critics uh, and writers to suggest beers that they thought were some of theirs. We compile a giant list. It ends up looking like a wall, uh, you know, in one of those uh, cop movies where they're trying to track the serial killers and they have strings that, you know, go from one place to another to try to link these together to create some like, you know, master list that makes sense of all these best beers, you know, because we're looking for a whole bunch of different categories, broad representation, yada, 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 um, you know, and uh, and then we argue about it and uh, we have some great meetings (laughs) around that. It's a fun conversation. We argue, you know, but that's 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 what's what we're here for, you know, to to uh, earnestly and uh, authentically suggest, you know, beers that we you know, believe uh, should be, and then we advocate for them, just like a, you know, just like you know, judging a metal round of a of, of GABF, where you know there are some things you want to advocate for and you push them forward, and there are other things where you know you you. Uh, you know, you allow other judges to to get their say, in. and uh, you know, by at the end of the day, I think we've got a pretty damn good list, and I'm I'm willing to stand behind it. So, uh, why don't you start us off with one of your picks for uh, editor's picks for best eighteen? Sure, and we don't number these, by the way. These are just uh, great beers that we've had uh, this year. Um, no, no, but- we hate stack ranking anything. You know, <laughs> um, I guess that's I, since this is our podcast, I can I can put out my philosophy on this. I hate trying to force rank stuff into number one, number two, number three, number like, yeah, screw that. Yeah. You know, my, my philosophy on this is there are a lot of bests. There are a lot of bests for different reasons. There are a lot of bests because there are different criteria that you can argue that, uh, you know, something might be, you know, equally uh, valuable, interesting, or best. And so in that sense, you know, these are, yeah, not in any kind of order. There's not a, you know, anything. These are just, these are the 18 best that, you know, an 18 best, most interesting, most important, you know, interesting stories uh, or influential this year, you know, as we've selected them. And so there it is. Uh, So, yeah, start us off, John. So it is a collaboration between Sierra Nevada and Weinstefen, and this was Brow Pact, 
which is a Hefeweizen that they made earlier this year. It's a limited offering, but uh, man, I'll tell you, it is the best of both breweries' traditions. Uh, Weinstein knows how to make a Hefeweizen uh, better than anybody else being the oldest brewery in the world, and Sierra Nevada obviously knows what they're doing with hops uh, when it comes to how they have changed the American beer landscape. And so these two great breweries getting together, uh, this this beer is absolutely a marvel, and I think everybody who's, who's had it uh, hopes that it becomes a, a regular offering because I think people would stock up on this quite a bit uh, if if it was around year-round. And if you still see it on shelves, go grab it. Uh, if you were lucky enough to have it uh, first time around, I'm sure you'll agree with this one. It's still on shelves out here in Colorado, John, and I can tell Excellent. you that because uh, I, had to, uh, I had to buy a, a, a six-pack of it for the uh, the photo prop a couple of weeks ago and oh, I was cool. able to find one here. And the remainder is, is in my fridge where I've slowly been drinking it because it is such a fantastic and beautiful beer. Uh, well, the next beer is actually close to, to home for you. It is. It is. Uh, New Belgium, Lawfully 2018. This is a big year for New Belgium and their sour beer program. They started uh, you know, in 2017 kind of moving from their old philosophy of let's make sour accessible to everybody, which they're still doing in a, in a considerable way, to uh, let's express some of these fooder-based sour beers in the most interesting and special way that we can, and that's taking it back to kind of bottle condition, cork and crown. Um, but they do that, and, and, and I think the thing that they've, uh, the best part about this whole thing is that they are moving back to this bottle conditioned, unpasteurized, corked and caged format, and they're doing it having learned everything that they possibly could about how to brew and how to package sour beer. Um, and so now, Lawfully, you know, this is a beer that I've, I've taken for granted for years. You know, I mean, I'm just let's just put it all out there. At my 40th birthday a few years ago, um, a buddy of mine brought a four-year vertical of Lawfully, and, you know, we, we drank through it. But, I mean, it was a whole group of beer nerds, and I don't think we even finished, you know, all the bottles because it was just something you take for granted. Lawfully is everywhere out here. Um, this new Lawfully is something that no one should take for granted. You know, it is uh, beautiful. And what I, what I loved about this one, we... I don't want to spoil anything because we have a review of it coming up in our upcoming wood-aged beer issue. But uh, our blind panel, when they tasted it, was reminded that malt matters. You know, that uh, it's so easy as the trend has kind of gone in sour beer toward golden sours, uh, towards these light uh, beers that are at, uh, you know acidity-driven and fruit-driven. It's so impo- uh, easy to forget that that malt component can add so much interest and flavor and layers of complexity in a sour beer. And this edition of La Folie captures all of that, and it captures it in just this spectacular way. What's next on the list? Next on the list, it is the Answer Brew Pub, Three Scoops. This is a controversial pick. How so? There are some out there in the world of brewing who would, uh, you know, might call us crazy for making this pick. But uh, when I was out in Richmond, I made a stop by. And, you know, I will, again, also admit to not being the largest fan of uh, overly fruited, unrefermented fruit in beer uh, with crowlers or cans that may explode, uh, or not explode, I'm sorry, uh, seep at the seams. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so when it comes to this level of fruit in beer, you know, I've, I've been a critic of it in the past because I, I don't love beers that lose sight of the fact that they're beer. And, uh, and then I popped into the answer, made a visit, tasted a whole bunch of their beers. And, you know, having when you have one of these styles of beer made by such an important brewery in the development of that style of beer it's easier to understand why people like it 
And that was the case for me. Like when you taste not just, you know, the fact that they're putting a bunch of these flavors into a beer, but the way that they've balanced those flavors, the way that they've built a beer to kind of support that and the way that uh, and the quality of those flavors and how that all comes together, um, you know, just creates something that is greater than the sum of its parts. And that was it, you know, with three scoops for me, you know, and this kind of highly fruit forward kind of, you know, slightly sour tart, you know, Berliner Weiss kind of approach, uh, you know, to beer that uh, the answer is putting out there. And so there you go. Three scoops. Controversial choice. Some people may love it. Some people may hate it, but uh, you can't ignore them. Not a controversial choice, though. The next beer, uh, you cross the Atlantic. You went over to Europe. We did. This is another one that uh, that made our list, uh, not just because, uh, well, again, I don't want to spoil our wood age beer issue, but you'll see the review of this beer in the, in the score that there, our judges gave it in the next issue. Um, Three Fontaine, Oudgu's Cuvée Armand and Gaston. You know, this one is, you know, we've got it. We were suckers, you know, for, for Oudgu's Lambic, uh, Oud Creeks, you know, and the, the, the variety of of uh, uh, lambic and lambic blends that are out there from you know traditional Belgian brewers, this one is noteworthy this year. Um, you know we've we've loved three uh, three Fontaine for for many many years, but uh, they are finally back to brewing and blending uh, from wort and beer that they have brewed in house. Um, you know for a number of years they weren't able to brew within the brewery themselves, and they were simply blending other people's wort. Now they're back to, to blending uh, beer that they're actually brewing in-house. And so, you know, I think what that affords them, you know, and what I say in, in, in the write-up here, is a kind of a singular focus. You know, the, some of their other blends have a kind of a broader and, uh, you know, wider kind of, uh, you know, approach to pulling in, a, you know, complexity from, from the different base beers. This is so beautifully citric and so intensely funky, um, you know, with a perfectly placed acidity, a lot more residual sweetness than you would expect in this kind of beer that kind of balances out that funkiness. And I mean, it's absolutely spectacular. It's just just a wonderful beer. Yeah, no, it is. And you're up next. Uh, you're going to take us I into am. Lagerland. Absolutely. So this is the Von Trapp Brewing Oktoberfest. And it's fun this time of year, towards the end of the year, to have an Oktoberfest on here. And there's still not a lot uh, this time of year that come out. But the ones that do, they, they capture some of the spirit uh, of it, especially if they're made here in the U.S. Uh, this one, uh, I think we all agreed when we had it, was just uh, it's head and shoulders above the rest. It's exactly what you want. Uh, from an Oktoberfest lager. It's it's perfect as the weather starts to change around the country, uh, as it starts to get a little bit cooler. It's got this nice sweetness to it, but it also just has a little bit of an assertive hop content to it. Uh, it tastes like autumn in a glass. And uh, to, to me, uh, you know, leaders of this is, is a perfect way to while away uh, an afternoon um, uh, weekend afternoon in the summer and uh, or in the in, in autumn I should say uh, as as we get out of summer and yeah I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge fan of this one and it's great to see it on the list if you're up in Stowe Vermont uh, visiting the Alchemist or any of those other great breweries uh, definitely go check out what Von Trapp is doing these days they're uh, put in a brand new brew house and they're they're really just just kicking ass in, in the lagers that they're making in the German traditions so great brewery and great beer yeah Next on uh, next on our list, Fort George Brewery from Astoria, Oregon, three-way IPA. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of trying this one for the last few years, starting with the kind of the Melvin uh, collab. I see, who, who was it? Um, 
because uh, that was, uh, I guess, 2016 Melvin and Barley Browns. It was a very dank West Coast IPA. In 2017, um, they kind of went hazy with a collab, a uh, three-way collab between them, Great Notion, and Rubens Brews. There you go. I mean, you know, you start talking about all-star cast right there. Um, you know, that was a, just a fantastic approach to a hazy beer. Um, and then this year's uh, edition is a collab with Modern Times and Holy Mountain. Um, you know, Modern Times now being there in Portland, Oregon, and uh, Holy Mountain up in Seattle. Uh, what I love about this, and, uh, you know, if you want to make this year's iteration of Three-Way IPA, the 2018 edition, the, the collab between Holy Mountain and Modern Times and Fort George, uh, there is the recipe. The first time we've ever had the recipe along with the, uh, the beer here in our Best in Beer issue. Um, but I was talking to, you know, Dave Coyne of, uh, of Fort George Brewery a couple weeks ago at GABF, and, uh, he, you know, he shed some light on the way that they brew this that absolutely blew my mind. You know, they when they're brewing this collaboration every year, they brew about uh, seven or eight uh, test batches of the beer on their 10 hectoliter pub system at Fort George. Um, there, I don't know of any other collaboration in the world of collaboration beers where the three breweries involved brew eight and a half barrels of it seven or eight times, ship the beers around to each other to taste and figure out how they're going to iterate. And then, you know, ultimately through those seven or eight rounds, take it up into production. I mean, you, you see a lot of breweries, John. I mean, you ever seen that before? No, no, I have not. It's a little bit nuts, which sounds crazy. But three-way IPA every year for Fort George represents 3,000 barrels of their production, which is uh, a little bit insane. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's such a huge beer and, uh, you know, it's a great to give them a nod for this important collaboration and what that means for all of them. So next up on the list is the Suarez family brewery and their Palantine pills. So I had a chance to get up there earlier this year and we did a breakout brewer profile on them and I got to hang out with Dan Suarez and, and hear a lot of his brewing philosophy as well. And, one of the, the cool things about it is that he's in the Hudson Valley of New York, which has so many great breweries and, and a lot of you know places that people line up for. And he has carved out a niche for himself by not necessarily making popular styles of beer or, you know, the IPAs that people want to line up for. But instead, uh, you know, he's making this this wonderful, wonderful Pilsner that made our list this year uh, that uh, that the brewers, you know, we were talking about burial earlier. Uh, the brewers are, are drinking what they want to drink. And uh, this is definitely one of those beers. And I think everybody who's had the chance to, to drink this beer really loves the, the brewery's approach, uh, the flavor for the beer and just sort of how it takes you out of this I don't know, chaotic uh, circle that we can be in sometimes in beer and just sort of forces you to sit quietly and, and contemplate the very nature of beer. Is that too romantic? That is so deep, John. <laughs> I'm moved. Let's, uh, let's go the exact opposite direction for the next beer on our editor's picks for best beers of 2018. We're going to go from Pilsner to uh, barley wine, and not just barley wine, but a uh, uh, barrel-aged barley wine aged in two different barrels. That's Anchorage Brewing, a deal with the devil, double-oaked 2017. This actually came out at the end of October 
of 2017. And so it does actually qualify for our beers of 2018 since our cutoff was GABF of last year. Uh, this beer, I got to tell you, the first time I had to deal with the devil was 2015. Uh, and our, in fact, our blind panel reviewed the, uh, that batch two release and scored it a perfect 100. It is a, it was a phenomenal beer then. And then as, as far as I can tell, Gabe took some of that batch that was in cognac barrels and put it into other barrels in order to kind of create this beer. Um, this uh, deal with the devil at that point scored a perfect 100. This beer is another perfect 100. I mean, it is hard to imagine a barley wine that is better, more rich, um, but also uh, you know uh, smooth. This is a 17% beer that uh, does not drink hot, that uh, just kind of captures all of those classic barley wine flavors of leather and oak and uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it is just uh, somehow you know even though it remains sweet, it doesn't stay cloying. Um, you know, it's an interesting. One because this week uh, it's back in the news. They announced a release, uh, I think, for the end of next week, and a price point for the this next batch <laughs> of a deal with the devil of a hundred dollars for a three seventy five bottle. It's created quite a bit of uh, backlash, I guess, on the social media. But thankfully, there's some good arguments for and against that price point. I just want to go on the record personally saying that uh, I would happily pay a hundred bucks for a bottle of this beer uh, because, you know, as far as my estimation goes, I think it's, uh, it's one of the best in the, in the world of beer and one of the best currently made. I don't know if I'd pay that kind of money for it, but I did have it uh, at the brewery a couple of years ago when I was up there and yeah, it's a, it's an amazing beer and uh, yeah, if people can get a, a, a handle on that bottle, I'm, I'm sure they won't be disappointed. What's uh, yeah. what's up next? Up next, Burial Beer, Burial Beer Hawkbill IPA. This one uh, comes out of our, our IPA issue and was nominated by our blind review panel. It was the top scoring single IPA in our IPA issue this past year and uh, was a just a phenomenally uh, delicious but also balanced beer. You know, it's a hazy IPA, but it's not the sweetest and it's not the fruitiest. It was simply the most interestingly balanced beer with a, a lot of that fruit character and a you know, significant amount of bitterness to kind of help, uh, you know, play against that. And so, yeah, this beer is a burial's second year in a row appearing on the editor's picks for best of 18. Uh, yeah, I guess we have a thing for him, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're making great beer and it's nice to see them recognized that way. And then uh, we were talking earlier in this this uh, episode about Austin and your time down there, <coughs> and uh, Austin Beer Garden made uh, made the list as well. You know, it, it, <laughs> Amos and Swifty down at Austin Beer Garden are on to something good. It's you know, Austin and Texas in general is is fantastic pilsner country. These guys uh, make three of them that are just phenomenal. Uh, Industry Pills, Velvet Revolution, and Rocket 100, each of them with a little bit of a different character, but all of them uh, uh, award-winning beers. And, I mean, you, you look at Austin Beer Garden's performance in the, in the major awards over the last three years. They have won Large Brew Pub of the Year three years straight at the Great American Beer Festival. That is a, a pretty amazing feat for them. And they've done it with beers of truth, you know, with Pilsner, beers they can't hide behind and beers that show, uh, you know, any kind of brewing flaw. They are masterful in their execution of these beers. And, you know, it was such a fun time down there drinking, uh, you know, because we were hanging out with uh, some of the, the you know, uh, cool, cool kids in the brewing world. And, uh, you know, Every single one of them to a person loved drinking Austin Beer Garden Brewery's, uh, you know, Pilsners while we were hanging out there. It's, uh, they must be getting so tired of all this winning. 
Well, speaking of popular breweries, though, and, and ones that have mass appeal at this point, the, the next beer that's on our list, I was amazed to see uh, the line that formed when we were at the Weldworks Invitational earlier this year uh, for this for this brewery uh, that just has really seeming to, to starting to hit its stride right now and I think very much deserves uh, this next spot on our list. It's a Boca Rider. Yes. Uh, Castle. Yeah, this one's a uh, it's a lambic. Now, you know, if you read the story, the breakout brewer story that I wrote on uh, Raff and his Boca Rider brand uh, in the, I guess it was the last issue or issue or two ago of uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, uh, he's got a really interesting process. He's buying lambic, brewed by uh, classic, you know, uh, traditional lambic brewers, uh, you know, Lindemann's, uh, Girardin, and uh, De Troque, and blending those, you know, aging that, buying that wort uh, the day after it's cooled, after it's brewed and cooled, and then, uh, you know, putting it into his own oak and uh, aging that out for, uh, you know, a couple of years at a time, and then doing his own fruit blends after that. But one of the things that uh, sets him apart, he is hyper-focused on using wine techniques and using especially long macerations on fruit with, a, you know, punch downs that help, uh, you know, pull out, uh, you know, more depth of character on these fruits. Uh, this piazzle using red vineyard peaches is really something spectacular. It was uh, a tough thing for me to open one of my the bottles that I had just to take the picture for the magazine um, and force us all to drink it right there in the office. But, uh, you know, it, I took one for the team on this one because the color of this beer, it, as a peach beer that is that red, but also, you know, uh, I mean, it's really incredible, but the the flavor, I think, is the thing that sets this beer apart. It is a complex beer. It uh, benefits from decanting. It's not one that's, a, you know, that immediately presents to you with, uh, you know, with, oh, you know, this kind of intense uh, or, you know, with this kind of, you know, fruity, sweet flavor that you one might expect. But as you really contemplate and dig into this beer, um, it, there is so much depth to it. There is so much uh, texture and mouthfeel. I mean, it really just feels silky like a great Bordeaux wine. I mean, it is... There is just something different and something interesting and, and something, uh, uh, you know, uh, sensory about the way that uh, the beer itself even feels as you drink it. And so uh, pretty spectacular and amazing to see interesting things happening in such a traditional world of Lambic like that. You're up next, John. What, uh, tell me about the next beer. Uh, Boy, so Society the Swindler, and you know we we love what this brewery is doing out of San Diego. Uh, they've been uh, really just creating some really fun wild beers, uh, doing remarkable things with Britannomyces, which you know even in this day and age where there's so many breweries that are doing cool things uh, with Brett, uh, when one stands above the rest, like it really does stand tall. And the Swindler uh, is is definitely one of these. You know, we're we're talking about. Uh, you know, this bright lemon characteristic, there's uh, wonderful herb flavors, a sweet earthy vanilla note to it as well. Uh, and, you know, we talk about this splash of bracing acidity at the end of each swallow uh, that really sort of gets you excited about the next sip that's coming. Uh, this is one of those beers that you hate it when the bottle is empty. Uh, you hate it when you get to, to the end of it. And if you're lucky enough to have another bottle, uh, the temptation is there to, to open it up right away as opposed to you know, sort of stave off, um, uh, you know, some of that fun for for the next time around but yeah it's a it's a great beer if you're out in san diego uh there's so much hops there's so much uh ipa available out there so many pale ales available out there that this is a really sort of a nice respite from uh from some of that as well so uh i'm, I'm a fan i'm glad to see them on the list here yeah their their last few feral releases including the thief which is uh, brewed with wine grapes is just they've just really blown my socks off um big fans of theirs and of course you know if you ever want to 
IPA pupil, apprentice, coachman. I mean, uh, they can also uh, you know fill that uh, that slot for you too. Next up on the list is another California brewery, Alvarado Street, and the beer contains no juice. You know, this one's a fascinating one. We've got you know we you know need to have plenty of IPAs on this list because I mean you know as you've said before, John, these are the beers that people drink, and uh, you know there's no denying that it's a good 25 plus percent of the the craft beer market these days. But this beer as a double IPA is brewed with. Uh, a uh, Sac Ramias is trois yeast, which uh, you know kind of make gives it an interesting, expressive take. You know, that Sac Trois pulls out some of the tropical characters of those hops, and uh, it really creates an interesting mix of you know fermentation and ingredient that uh, yeah makes it a, a really fun beer to drink. We I've loved so many of the Alvarado Street uh, you know. Uh, beers this year everything from vengeful barbarian and uh, um you know some of their collabs like the one they did with moonraker i mean it seems like you know they're collabing with everybody these days but uh you know and so there could be a lot of beers out here contains no juice i think just won a bronze medal at the great american beer festival and uh they also shared the recipe for this beer with us uh, for a breakout brewer story that we did last year so uh yeah happy to uh to put alvarado street on this uh, on this list and then the next one up, uh, we're staying on the West Coast. We are staying on the West Coast. Uh, this one, <laughs> this uh, this beer, Fremont uh, Brewing Brew 2000, is our second barley wine on the list. Um, there's a, a certain zeitgeist about barley wine that's been happening over the last year or two, huh? And uh, I guess I guess we fell victim to you know all of the hype out there around it. But uh, you know, this beer actually I think breaks through any idea of hype and what might be driving that. It was nominated for our uh, editors' picks by our friend Alex, uh, the one who encourages people to not drink beer. Um, but let's not hold that against him. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It is uh, like our like the other barley one on the list. Just uh, you know, one of those where our blind reviewers, as they went through this, uh, uh, you know, tasted both in the same session, and I mean, they they both just you know scored astronomically higher than every other beer in the category. It, it it's it's just kind of funny when you you see these beers and they in there in this kind of context with other barrel aged barley wines, they they just are are playing at another level, and uh, you know the the cohesion of the flavors in these beers the smoothness of the way that all of those you know these pieces fit together um that perfect amount of bitterness that perfect amount of you know tobacco toffee candy i even got a little bit of baseball mitt and uh, of course some uh, some praline out of it a little bit of that tanned leather from baseball mitts uh i mean it is it is a slow sipping uh you know contemplate while uh, you know uh, sitting next to a fire in a in a you know cold environment i mean just the perfect beer for that kind of scenario and so uh, I am really thankful that I have one more bottle of it that I'm going to enjoy at the perfect time this winter. So I'm curious about this next one because I, 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 I've had this and I, and I really like it. And I think that this is going to, to raise a couple of eyebrows uh, on our list this year uh, from Hudson Valley. Why do you think it's going to raise some eyebrows? Well, it's, it's the concept. And we should of- tell them what the beer is. It is Hudson Valley uh, Brewery Demi Urge, which is a sour IPA. And, and, and that's what I think, you know, might draw some, uh, uh, some eyebrows is, is the whole concept of a sour IPA these days. Uh, it's, it's still, I think, a little bit on the fringe, uh, but the ones who are making it, uh, I think, have really sort of taken it in a fun way uh, and made it their own. But I'm, I'm curious as to, to what you like about this one, Jamie. You know, I, you, can, you can ask uh, most of my, my beer nerd friends, and they will tell you that uh, um, there, there are a few beer styles that I hate on as much as sour IPA. 
Um, I have turned down these beers when offered to me before. And so, you know, it was, um, it was a big moment of, of personal growth, I think, to uh, taste some of these beers from, from Hudson Valley and start to understand what it is about these beers that resonate with people. Um, but, you know, I reached out to them and they sent us some beer. And, you know, as I got to contemplate it in a, in a more quiet environment, uh, you know, outside of that kind of, you know, beer share, high pressure, what do you think of this place? Uh, you know, I, I get to, uh, you know, I got to a different place on them. You know, number one, are, are they IPAs? Of course not. You know, they're, they're not IPAs, but who cares? I mean, at this point, uh, IPA is simply shorthand for has hops in it. And so, <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, I'm not wrong on that, am I? No, you're not wrong at all. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's the it's the brewing industry. If there's a way to attach IPA to it, we're going to call it IPA because, you know, let's be honest, IPA sells. And so, you know, it's simply marketing at some point there where IPA is just shorthand for has hops in it. Um, and I'm sure we'll see Pilsner IPAs pretty soon if we haven't already. And uh, you Well, know, IPLs, we, yeah. Yeah, we have we have IPLs. You know, we've we've now got yeah sour IPAs, uh, fruited sour IPAs, and flavored sour IPAs, and you know you know who knows. Anyway, I'm not going to argue that point. We'll you know let history kind of sort it out, and we'll look back at this ten years, twenty years, thirty years from now, and say either what the hell are we thinking, or wow, shit got a lot crazier since then, <laughs> and I can't <laughs> believe we we're worried about that. Um, so either one of those two things will happen, but you know we'll we'll let hindsight to sort that one out. This beer, and I will tell you what I thought why I enjoyed Demiurge so much. Um, and it's a little bit akin to, you know, why I liked uh, Three Scoops from Answer. It's not just that they're throwing a bunch of fruit in a beer with some, you know, a kind of IPA base. Uh, it is that those combination of ingredients and the quality of that experience and the way that they're balancing these different fruit flavors and the acidity and the hops and pulling that all together into something that is still drinkable, also smooth with a very controlled and, and kind of, you know, subtle and mellow acidity that just kind of rolls right in. And, uh, you know, it's not bracing, it's not jarring. It just becomes this natural part of the beer. And it feels, I mean, this one is a, a you know, a, a collaboration with Death and Company, the cocktail makers. It is so supremely well-crafted and all those flavors, the quality of the flavors from the, the almond, you know, the flavor they pull in to kind of echo the almond liqueur flavor of a Mai Tai, uh, you know, to the kind of lime and, and, uh, and, and other fruit flavors. I mean, it is, they're so beautifully balanced and they create something that is again, just greater than the sum of its parts. It is, um, there's a quality to it, but also, um, it pulls together in a way that a lot of other beers in the same style that I have had do not pull together. And so mm -hmm. I think that's what sets Hudson Valley apart as brewers in this sense. How do you feel I, about it, John? No, I agree. I agree. I, everything that you just said about that beer, I'm hundred uh, percent involved in uh, hundred uh, percent in agreement with and being part of this Hudson Valley as well. It's cool to see that there's two breweries from this region uh, that we've been covering quite a bit uh, in the magazine over the last year or so. Um, they're, they're really just turning out some fantastic beers. And it's, if you haven't had a chance to visit yet, uh, make it part of your travel plans. Cause there's some really cool stuff that that's coming out of there. Um, and there's some fantastic mountain biking in the Hudson Valley. If you're into that too. Oh, absolutely. 
which I am and have spent plenty of, plenty of hours of my day uh, riding uh, some fantastic trails up there. Can't wait to get back. Next up on the list, Epic Brewing, Big Bad Baptist. You know, we try to make a point on this list uh, you know, to not only include the hardest to find, biggest trader beers that you're going to have to trade your whole cellar for or go spend a ton of money on the secondary market for. You know, and so there's plenty of Pilsners in that category and plenty of, you know, more accessible IPAs. But uh, you know what? This is this this Big Bad Baptist is a beer that I have loved for years and years and years because it is not entirely barrel aged, but it's part barrel aged. The quality of the coffee that they use in this beer is absolutely amazing um, and never ceases to you know surprise me at just how, uh, you know, well integrated that coffee note and coffee flavors are with the beer as a whole. And the best part of it. Is it a, they just put it out there on shelves? Yeah, you can find it. You can find it even out here uh, in in Jersey as well, which is which is wonderful. It's nice seeing their beers um, on the shelves, and and this was really just one of those go to ones uh, that I've also just brought along uh, and and had as a beer that I can give people who say, oh, you know, I'm not really all into to darker beers or, you know, some of the stronger stuff is a little bit intimidating. Um, this is a super approachable beer as well. Uh, it's not heavy handed in any one way. Um, the, the true technical skill comes through, uh, but it's it's also just sort of a very humble beer uh, as well. So I've, I've had a fun time introducing people to uh, partial barrel aged and some of the, the, you know, bigger, boozier flavors uh, through this beer as well. So it's a, it's a great teaching beer. Uh, yeah, as well as absolutely. a fun drinking beer as well. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, two more beers on our list. Uh, yeah. The uh, penultimate beer, Bottle Logic Brewing, uh, Fundamental Observation. There were a lot of, you know, we actually both had some interesting experiences with other Bottle Logic beers this year, like the Paisley Cave Complex, which is mm-hmm. uh, the collaboration that they've done with Great Notion that they just put out, I guess, a couple of weeks ago in, in, uh, in a bottle release. We had some on draft at a festival earlier this year. Uh, just kind of a remarkable beer. Um, you know, Bottle Logic is doing interesting things with adjunct flavors in beers for uh, for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, some of them are, are super sweet and certainly uh, geared towards that kind of beer audience. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things I like about Fundamental Observation is that it's more about that rich vanilla character, you know. And uh, and so this, they're in, I think, uh, the f- you know fourth iteration of this beer. And, uh, you know, some of them are, are uh, you know, a little more hyped than others. But I'll tell you, I think Fundamental Observation is routinely a classic release that captures all of that uh, rustic, earthy, vanilla character that you can expect in a beer, puts it and just just turns that up to 11. Um, it's a fantastic beer to, to sit down and enjoy. And, uh, you know, interesting LLF, uh, the newer newer releases of it are not as hard to get as uh, as past are. Um, and that is one nice thing that Bottle Logic has done. They have cranked up the uh, bottle counts on their releases and are trying to push it to a point where it can be more accessible to people that actually want to drink it and not just uh, the Uber beer nerds that want to trade it. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, this has so many fun flavors going on with it as well. It's, uh, uh, if you can, if you, if you come across it on the shelves and like you mentioned, you should be able to, uh, definitely pick up a bottle or two and, uh, save one, share one, uh, but definitely enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you know, some of the notes that I got oily, um, orange peel bitterness on the nose an earthy vanilla note, you know, the sip is marshmallows and Dr. Pepper. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's so much fun stuff going on in this beer. And then let's, uh, for our last and final beer, but certainly not least, because again, these are not ordered. <laughs> these in are any not way. ordered, yes. Or, I mean, you could also argue that maybe we've saved the best for last. I don't know. Kind of depends on your point of view. You know, you make that judgment of yourself. Uh, but what's our last beer, John? It is from Hill Farmstead, and it's Arthur. 
which, you know, is just as far as mixed fermentation beers go, uh, mixed fermentation ales, like this is just, this has that rustic, uh, uh, that rustic complexity to it that just makes Hill Farmstead Hill Farmstead. Like this, this is, I think, the, the one beer that you can say is the personification of, you know, that celebrated brewery. And, you know, it's it's not maybe their, their most hyped beer, as it were, or the ones that people are uh, uh, most excited about trading uh, these days. But it is, I think, in, in, in my mind at least, uh, you know, such a great go-to beer from them that it's... Uh, um, I'm glad to see it on this list. If I could trade one bottle of Art Batch 4 for, say, three cases of Arthur, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, the experience of Arthur, you know, uh, we, you know the beer, beer nerds out there and the beer traders make a big deal out of the harder-to-find smaller releases. Arthur is a gem, a beer that would be... Um, you know, a lead in most other breweries lineups. And uh, for Hill Farmstead, it is there, hey, we're going to sell this 750 milliliter bottle for 10 bucks straight out of the brewery. Um, and we're not going to make a big deal out of it, even though it is one of the best beers you know, in the world of beer. It is one of my you know absolute favorites. I love the, you know, that tight effervescence, that slight breath bitterness to it, uh, you know, a little bit of funk, um, you know, solid body, very, very light acidity, you know, that just, you know, gives a little bit of character. Um, and, you know, they have, they set the bar with this beer years and years ago, and it's a bar that uh, most of the brewers in the country are still trying to reach with uh, their own mixed fermentation beers. So, Oh, hands down. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a remarkable beer. Well, that, that, is, that is our top 18 uh, editor's picks, uh, best 18 beers of 2018. Uh, you know, hope you've, uh, agree or disagree or, uh, have your own points to make. If you do, uh, reach out to us in one way or another, you can reach John, uh, either on Twitter, you know, how do they, how do they get in touch with you, John? Uh, I'm on Twitter at John underscore hall. It's H O L L or, you know, Facebook. And we obviously have all of our social media channels for the magazine as well of, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'd love to see, you know, folks uh, sharing some of their pictures of, of what they think are the best uh, beers that, that they've had this year. Uh, certainly that's true. On that we'll Instagram be rolling these out on our, our, our Craft Beer and Brewing Instagram. That's at, at Craft Beer Brew. Um, you can reach me if you if you want to you know tell me how I'm full of it. Uh, Jay Bogner <laughs> at uh, beerandbrewing.com. Hey, I love those emails, by the way. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing better than somebody telling, ah, oh, no, you know, you're full of shit. Uh, you're completely wrong in that. I don't know how you picked that. Um, the the but, only but, thing better, I think, is the 3 a.m. responses that, that that you give people. Yeah, make sure you send me that email after <laughs> after 10 p.m. Mountain Time because then you get the then you get the most interesting and colorful response, right? <laughs> That's what uh, I do. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, share your thoughts on our on our best beers of uh, 2018 of our readers picks for their top uh, for the top 50 beers of 2018 uh, for John and my critics lists for the other critics lists in the uh, the best in beer issue. If you haven't read it yet, go out to your newsstand and grab a copy. It'll be on there on December 30th or go to beerandbrewing.com and click on that subscribe uh, button to get a, a subscription to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine because, you know, you know you want to. You should yeah. be subscribing. Yeah. And then you're ahead of the game next year for the 2019 picks. We have to pay John's salary somehow. So uh, <laughs> go, go, go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> I'm taking it in beer trades these days. It's a lot of fun. Hey, that's awesome. We can pay you in beer? Fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
I've gotten that question before. People ask me if, you know, do you just get paid in beer? And it's like, no, no, no. The, the mortgage company doesn't accept that. So, um, I've tried. But do they know that it's Hill Farmstead? I mean, because if they did, maybe they might take it. Jeez. I have a poker rider. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't work with the loan company. Well, well, one day, one day we can dream of a future where, uh, where our, our mortgage uh, lenders accept beer in exchange for our mortgage payments. Until then, we will see you next week for another episode of the podcast where we will be back to our normal interview format with uh, some of the leading voices in the world of brewing. Cool. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.